Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV Navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we're talking to you from our at-home studio where uh, we hopefully again. won't have any technical difficulties this <laughs> month. We've been had our share of, fair share of uh, technical difficulties lately. Oh, but we have one that's coming up that's going to be bad news. What? It looks like the web page software that I use to create the RV Navigator podcast web page is dying. What do you mean it's dying? Well, I've been using it for a long time, and you know the po- the, the podcast. Let's see, we are we started in two thousand six. This is two thousand eighteen, so we're twelve years old, and I've been using the same software. And in your world, that's in, in, ancient uh, history. So, it looks like Apple's going to kill iWeb. Nobody should be using iWeb anymore because Including it hasn't you. Been, because it hasn't been updated since 2011. But I frankly kind of like it, and it works well for the podcast. But for those of you who use iOS or macOS, uh, Apple is going to be abandoning all 32-bit apps in the near future, probably in the fall. And iWeb is a 32-bit app, therefore. It is not modern, and it will no longer be supported and probably will not run on the next version of the Mac OS. So do you know what you're going to do? No! Oh, <laughs> this is a serious problem. So you might lose all the old stuff? I won't lose it, but there may be some significant changes in the website in the near future. Do you my, have to like, my change your address or something? No, no, no. But it's going to be a matter that I will probably have to archive the current website. And, and have it just be a link. Have it just be like so. If you want to download old podcasts from the website, not from iTunes, you will have to go and click on a just a different link. I expect. I don't know exactly how this is going to work. Unfortunately, web software it's surprising. The web software is kind of proprietary, and you can't. Even though the web is uniform, and that browsers can read uh, the code from any software product that that puts it up on the web uh, you can't just translate from one product to another and so I'm going to have to try something new if anybody has any good ideas please let me know because this is going to be a a, a long traumatic experience it could be i have and to learn new software oh no and something you need to do while we're still home well that's what i'm thinking about this two months would be probably while we're in our summer home while we're in our summer home in the chicago land area and when it's very hot outside which it has been uh this is a good time for me to sit and play around with new software but am i looking forward to it no it's not that easy. For those of you who use the Mac OS, you want to go to About This Mac and choose to look at the uh, the software that you have. And if it says no to 64-bit software, then you are going to be kind of out of luck if you upgrade to the latest, to the newest version, Mojave, of the software, which is going to be introduced. So lazy people like me who haven't been upgrading regularly can still use the old website in the old way? Is that what you're saying? the website for the user is not going to make it have much change, although the buttons and stuff may work differently. But for me, the As creator, the who puts it up, yeah. I have to get new software to create the website. Now, this has nothing to do with the user other than the website may change its look just a little bit. When you look at your software on your machine, you need to check and see because you would be shocked. I have been, frankly, kind of shocked at how many applications are not going to work anymore. During the next OS update. That's the word. Okay. It's not official. It's worth being ready for. And in this tech world, using stuff that's 10 years old is just not a good idea, I guess. The nose here? Mm-hmm. Oh, that tells you what will and won't work. Uh-huh. 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 And you can go through and look at them, but anyway, for those Windows people, you don't care. But for those Mac people, you might want to go back and check. 
Okay, so we want to be sure to remind folks to get our latest wallpaper. It is a very nice sailing away picture from Sydney Harbor. Ooh, Ooh, one of the prettiest places in the world. That's July 2018, which is what this podcast is covering. We are here at home in the home studio, ready to update you about what's new in the RV world. When you mentioned sailing, that made me think about the winds. Oh, yeah. Um, a couple much younger than we are who just... left the working world way before we could and have been doing a nice job of supporting themselves as RVers until two years ago. They would do weekly video casts. They were complete novices at RVing, and they were complete novices at sailing. And they made their living um, off of the videos that they put up. Yes. Um, we looked at them every so often, and they were pretty high quality. And then they yes. had advertisers who paid the way. And at some point, I guess they felt like they had seen enough of the places they could drive to and decided to buy a sailboat, sell all their RVing stuff, and sail away. We watched them shortly after they acquired the boat, and I don't remember the precise details, but I remember many problems. Some were caused by well, the boat not being quite perfect, and some were caused by the fact that they didn't know what they, they were, were doing. Novices. Yes. So the other day, Ken mentioned to me that they had sailed across the Pacific I know. 45 to days. Tahiti? No. Well, the Marquesas. Marquesas. And, and now they're on the way to Tahiti. And I was stunned because that's a trip we just did. And, 45 days. And with, to do that all alone in a sailboat. And I mean, be responsible for 24 hours a day sailing? I don't know. It sounds like a very tough job to me. And it's something I wouldn't tackle unless I had a lot of experience. In our part of the world, uh, most of the people we encounter think we're kind of weird because we travel <laughs> so much and go to some yes. more exotic places and they can't imagine doing that themselves. But when I look at the winds, hats off to them for extreme travel for um, their adventurous spirit. Maybe being somewhat younger has something to do well, with it. A lot younger, yeah, a lot younger, yeah. 30s, a lot younger. yeah. yeah. And this is kind of their full time job. They uh, rely on Patreon, which is something I've thought about to earn them a little bit of money, where people can subscribe to you and and donate a few bucks. If you'd be interested in Patreon, maybe we should do that. So you would put that on the website so people could click on it? And you it? get Is an that... account, and then they uh -huh. would click on it, and uh -huh. you subscribe. I subscribe to a couple of uh, podcasts, podcasts. that you like, that yeah. you want to... Well, it's a way for podcasters to earn money without taking advertising. Which is better, yeah. So if it interests you to track the adventures of a couple far more adventurous than we are, um, we will put a link to the WINS video broadcasts on our podcast, podcast yeah. page whenever we get the podcast page going. Oh, it'll it's be still up this okay month. for this yeah, month. I'm still okay for this month. Um, and I and I want to say too that um, because they put up high quality video, yeah. this is a podcast. It's a video v cast, v a vlog. Um, that vlog. that is not designed to be listened to in the car while you are driving, which no, no. was our original intent when we started this podcast. Yeah, but I've been thinking about putting up some more videos. And to that end, I bought a new Hero Six little camera so that we can do some vlogging hmm. <laughs> there she is looking do i have to be in it well to that end i bought a nice selfie stick for this gizmo i think i need some um put on the makeup and and we will be vlogging a, a, a major facelift a, a major well after 12 years it's maybe it's time we we put up a little bit of and video is uh, so common these days that yeah. maybe it's, it's and certainly for us to do. we have gone through some spectacular scenery that would be fun to share with you. Well, it's not the scenery we want, we want to put up. It's oh. us. Oh, pictures of our of our toes in the sand. All right, my toes you can have. <laughs> the, the contract will have to be renegotiated. Uh oh, this changes in the in the Harvey Navigator podcast may not happen. Due to contractual problems with talent. Uh-oh. There are some things that we might want to alter. Well, it seems like after 10 or 12 years, you want to kind of make some updates. Or maybe adding some music and stuff like some of the podcasts do. What would I... 
to the back of the No, well, in between, well, that's the problem. Bridges? Yeah, because some people have this section and that section. We just babble on and there's <laughs> no obvious place to put the music. That's been one of my problems. I have occasionally, like between interviews, I put a little blip. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But it, but otherwise, we have no real agenda, so I don't the, have this, sections. The, and is- now we have the news section, and now we have the comments section. I just, well, I could have one for R&R. I'm about to do probably an R&R. Oh, kind of the This American Life effect. I feel like we sound medieval these days, probably because we are. (laughs) By by some standards, we were at the forefront. We were pioneers. Pioneers, but so enough of us. We do want to talk about our quick trip to Florida. Oh, how much detail do you want to go into? We took our small car, which gets 40 miles to the gallon. We quickly drove to Florida on an emergency trip. And she was excited to go because... Well, one of our listeners alerted us to the fact, this was while we were still on the cruise, that the campsite next to the campsite we own had come on the market for sale in Titusville. And it certainly would make a lot of sense to own the campsite next to us because often friends want to visit and Florida is so booked up, including our own campground, that unless they plan way, way, way ahead, if we're on the campsite, they can't be on the campsite. So we only have friends visit when we're not there to visit. (laughs) So it made sense to have um, a second lot. So we... Plus we we needed a place to park some money. We had barely been home from Australia, but we jumped into our little gas sipping car and roared down there. It rained incessantly and it was very hot Hot. the whole time we were there, which meant that nobody else was there shopping around and we had the uninterrupted attention of a realtor for a day and a half while we ran around and looked at, I think, 15 different properties. We wanted the site next to ours, as you just mentioned. Unfortunately, we couldn't come to an agreement about price. They had it grossly overpriced as far as we were concerned, so we decided to look around at other sites that might be just as good but not quite as convenient. And so we did eventually buy a nice site, a second site at TGO, and this one has an executive suite on it. A very la-di-da name for a manufactured <laughs> building, like although hot- this one I think was... Like a single hotel room. ...was stick-built. But what it means is that we can have friends visit who don't have an RV. All right. And and it ha- would have everything that you would need to entertain guests. So we're now land. The suite barons. came fully furnished, but it doesn't have any things like utensils and sheets and all that sort of stuff. So once we go down there Towels. this fall, we'll try to figure out um, how much we want to add because right now. When we live there, we'll probably be in our motorhome most of the time, and we don't need to add anything. So So we're still figuring it out. We drove down there quickly. We bought this in a day and a half, and then we drove home. That was our quickest trip to Florida ever. It was a lot. It was taxing. Brutal. But uh, we do now nice have, and we're just about to close on the 1st of July, uh, close on this second site, which will now be part of the RV Navigator Empire. (laughs) (laughs) Not purchased with Patreon money. Anyway, if you have interest in renting a lot in Florida, we still will have this one and the other one to rent. So uh, at a very reasonable price, so that if you are an RV Navigator listener and would like to visit the TGO campground at in Titusville, which is a very nice area in Florida, we can possibly make the arrangements. However, we've already rented it out for January and, and February, so that'll be out of the the mix at the moment. While we were there, a podcast listener friend offered us um, to stay in a trailer that he had on one of his three lots that he owns uh, rather than paying for a motel because there are cheap motels in the area. And so we revisited a world that we have not been in (laughs) for many, many years and spent um, two nights in a trailer. In a small, uh, less than 20-foot or about a 20-foot trailer that he has permanently parked on. But it was brand new when he bought it. Uh, I can honestly say I was not overly impressed with small trailers. 
Well, I would say if I had stayed in this trailer 20 years ago when my skeleton was less painful, I might have gotten a better night's sleep. But um, as people often comment when they buy new RVs, especially lower-end ones, it had a little 4-inch foam mattress, and it wasn't good for me. And so I didn't sleep well, and I got up in a lot of pain in the morning. And it was very hot and humid there, so we had to run the air conditioner incessantly. And while it was cool enough, it was like sleeping in a jet prop at O'Hare. <laughs> Both windy and loud. No- noisy. You know, this had one of the center-in-the-ceiling-mounted, uh, not ducted, air conditioners. I guess we've become kind of used to a little bit higher standard <laughs> when you step back to it reminds you what of- a lot of our listeners are probably living in. We certainly are now much more sensitive to that sort of issue. Well, the small ones are just hard to live in, and I can't imagine this one had sleeping capacity for four and we could hardly navigate ourselves in there well we put we use the other two beds to put our suitcase back <laughs> well, and just two more bodies would have been a yeah. big problem yeah. especially if they were of any size of, of adults yeah so you know, um, the bathroom was small the kitchen small the refrigerator small we're used to regular size so it was a good is. reminder of where we've come from and where some of our listeners are aspiring to and we are the aspirational ones. <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of an interesting experience. But we didn't have to tow it or move it, or and it, it, it's really not designed for that. But uh, we did have to live in it for a couple nights, and it was a challenge. It was uncomfortable. It was nice. I mean, there, everything worked well, yep. that, that sort of stuff, yep. but it was not uh, to our liking, really. One of the things that's really bothered me these days is when I read the the pages and the comments and articles that people say, I can't stay in a national park. Uh-oh, this is a rant, isn't it? Do we need special rant music for this? <laughs> that you can't stay in a national park if you have a big RV. And it has been our experience that people are if you're buying one of these small trailers like we just stayed in and you're thinking that's going to be a great experience to stay in a national park uh, i think you're going to be shocked and i would much rather have a large rv and have a somewhat limited set of choices for camping in in a national park than uh, staying in the small one We're going to put up a a website which lists someone who's done a lot of research about what national parks accommodate what size RVs, from the very, very small ones to ones the size of ours. And as you might predict, rigs the size of ours, according to his chart, are able to camp in about half the national park campgrounds, if I remember the statistics correctly. That's That's not the only question to think about. Um, Certainly there have been a number of national parks where the park itself didn't have a campground that was of our size, but immediately outside the park, there would be commercial campgrounds. every national park. Where we could comfortably stay. Within a very short distance. And depending on what park you're talking about, many of them have very primitive facilities. And when I imagine myself coming with a little van uh, that doesn't have a lot of power and doesn't have a lot of water and fitting in the site okay, but not being able to shower and cook and eat and all that stuff for very because long. Because when you're talking about many of the of the, they're boondocking. They're boondocking, boondocking. I mean, not just no no facilities, but I mean they have no shower houses, they have pit toilets, and they're just no amenities at they're all. They're not designed for a longer stay if you don't have well, your own accoutrements ex- with exactly. you. Exactly, and that's something you definitely have to weigh in on. Is that Living in a small trailer or a Class B, yes, you can drive around to these places and stay within the bounds of the National Park, but you're going to be uncomfortable, and that's just the way it is. Another thing to think about if you are a trailering person is that with your tow vehicle, you are quite a bit longer than we are, and you are much less flexible driving around in the park, because once we're in the park, we can leave the motorhome in the campground and take off our Jeep and Exactly. Drive around on our rough roads and dubious right. places um, much more readily. When we had a fifth wheel, I remember we spent one summer in Colorado and we did a lot of 
um, what was it called? Off-roading. Yeah. <laughs> Boondocking. Bo- yeah. well, well, no, with the truck. Yeah, with yeah, the truck. Yeah, yeah. Four-wheeling. Four-wheeling. I remember being yes. quite concerned in the back of my mind when we went over some of these big rocks that was going <laughs> to punch out, punch a hole in our gassing. And not only was that our transportation at that moment, but we wouldn't be able to move our camper once we were able to get right. back to it because right. that was our set of wheels and so i would say even if you are a national park aficionado you should buy the rig based on how you're going to use it all sorts of times all sorts of places and not worry so much well, just about it's, how it's, you're going to fit in the national yes, park it's nice to worry about national parks and state parks but one of the problems is is that you have to think about the total use and are you going to be able to stay in that national park for, for a number of, of days well and maybe some of our listeners who are still working have less than a week and so that's good enough but you can't stay in a week in a class less B. than a week you can't stay less than a week even mm-hmm. in a, i mean two or three nights would be all you could stay if you yeah. want to have yeah. decent amenities but, but- now just for your information we have stayed at and with big rigs we have stayed at grand canyon national park zion national park big bend yellowstone grand tetons national park death valley and these are just a few uh, others have stayed at Bryce, Cascade, Everglades, Glacier, Joshua Tree, Olympic, Sequoia National Parks in the park with facilities. With a big rig. With a big rig. Big. Oh, I, no, I don't know if they had facilities. But, define, but most of the define time, a big rig. What's a big rig? Oh, 40, 40 feet? feet or more. Mm-hmm. Now, understand that our motorhome at 40 feet is 40 feet. If you're towing a 40-foot fifth wheel... You are probably 65 feet or closer to 70 feet. That is a problem in many places, just using the roads. Because the motorhome is easy to back up and it's not like a trailer, you will have uh, an easier time getting into these places. So my recommendation is a Class A, whether maybe 35 foot, 40 foot, and you can go to virtually all of the national parks and certainly stay outside because you want hookups. If you don't want hookups, then you can go into the national park and try out their their boondockie sites. And we should mention that we've stayed at now a large number of state parks. And fit just fine. And fit just fine. We have a friend who really likes to go to remote national forests and park, and he has a very small rig, and I don't think we would fit too well in the kind of places he likes to go, but those are not places that we like to go. Uh, so it very much depends on how you're planning on using your rig and what well, your destinations and we the, will we be. We do the hub-and-spoke thing. We go to a place, we, we plan to spend some time there, and we get in our small car and we drive around to these places. Uh, even a 22-foot Class B is going to be hard to drive on some of the roads that we've driven, and you're not going to do any four-wheeling uh, with that type of rig. Uh, whereas in our car, we can go, uh, I remember uh, Moab, for instance, where we did a fair amount of four-wheeling, and that was a lot of fun, which you can't do if you have a Class B and you don't tow something mm-hmm. or it even would be a, too big. a smaller Class C. So I don't know what my recommendation is. Don't let the fact that you want to visit some national parks make you buy a smaller rig than you would prefer to have doing other things. Excellent idea. Uh, So maybe we should mention that we're going to put up a link from Consumer Reports, which is a beginner's guide to motorhomes. uh Sometimes when we do this podcast, we've been at this so long, we forget that some of the people who are listening to this (laughs) are newbies. Oh, no. And just like with other topics everybody has their own lingo and shortcut phrases and it could be and this is quite a conceivable good that you don't, have, for, don't for always know what we're talking about right. so this article explains what is the class a class a class b class c does it talk about b pluses too those always confuse me <laughs> <laughs> we did spend uh, a little bit of camping this month we went to indiana dunes state park uh, indiana dunes state park where our 43-foot motorhome fits wonderfully. They have very nice cement pads, and it's typical of many state parks um, that we've stayed in in the the recent past. We like it there because it's close, 67 miles from home. I feel conflicted about raving about it because I don't want it to be full all the time. Ah, So we shouldn't mention it. (laughs) 
But it is a place where friends of ours have stayed who wanted to visit Chicago right. because there's a train station, a commu- commuter train station within walking distance of the park. It's not too far off of the expressway, right. um, Route 80 slash 90, I believe yeah. it's called there. So it's very convenient for people passing through from um, one end We're of the country. Crossing to the country. Crossing yeah. the country. Going, and it's just a lovely place to be in and of itself. Um, our site had electricity only. Right. Um, but fine. it has very nice bathhouse type facilities and a nice little beach. Uh, so and we saw all sorts of RVs there. This was family camping season in June, uh, midweek. It had been a long time since we had camped with people who didn't have gray hair. <laughs> and I looked around at all the young families and I thought, hmm, am I going to like this? But they were wonderful. Uh, certainly there were kids riding bikes and playing games. But there was Drawing a lot of the cement. With chalk. But there was a lot of happy noise. And it was kind of a good reminder of um, our younger camping days. And tons of people in tents. We don't think about, we don't see too much people in tents in the wintertime. But uh, there were people uh, u- utilizing all all the sites for different with different RV setups, uh, everything from the small Class Bs and the tents to uh, the big forty-three footers like ours. Everybody was uh, congenial and was enjoying their their time there, and the weather was nice. So even though none of you camped next to us on this particular ah. campground, um, we had some people stop by and talk to us because I would say most of the time our rig was the nicest one there, and they just wanted to kibitz and talk about it, and um, it was fun. Well, there were several prevos that were there, but yes, we were we were happy to. Uh, to talk with folks and to kind of catch up. Why did we go? It was nice to have a campfire, too. You can oh, so rarely yeah. have campfires State anymore these days. And as I'm reading about fires in the West already and feeling sad about that, we have had we mo- more rain than usual. And so having a campfire was a treat and a safe thing to do. And we know in Florida you don't get to have campgrounds. So we campfires. had a good time. But we went there uh, as a chance to exercise the motorhome. I don't like to leave it sit for any length of time, uh, two or three months, it has been sitting while we were out traveling elsewhere, and we don't like to uh, just have it waste away, so we kind of take it out and exercise it, make sure the engine's running good and the slides work and the water system, and I think that's a good strategy on your part, too. You shouldn't just leave it sit. The problems, the problems that we've had many times have been caused by sitting. Things kind of seize up. And while we were there, you did a little home improvement and installed a new radio. I've been trying to upgrade all of the electronics in the motorhome, and it is, after all, a 2012, so it's pretty pretty old. And the head-end radio, the dash radio, is something that uh, I wanted to upgrade because it doesn't have Apple CarPlay. Does everybody know what that is? Of course, so that you can display, I don't know what it is. I haven't used it yet. Oh. But I have uh, installed this new radio, and I found it uh, very easy to do because the dash, unlike in a car, the, the dash of the motorhome just kind of opens up towards the front. There's a big cave underneath There's that plastic. There's a big, lot, tons and tons of space, and you don't have to work in that little small space. But I put in, it has a 7-inch screen, a uh, touch screen, and it has all the latest features. I put in a Kenwood. It actually has uh, some things that I will have to see whether we're using. Um, it has Cirrus radio, which we wanted, and, of course, it has a GPS built in, but not navigation, so that it uses the GPS for... Is that like the one that that guy we drove with in Oregon used, Rick, where he hooked it up to his phone navigation yeah. and it displayed that? Oh, yeah, this definitely does that. It does that. that. Yeah, yeah. This, you can take all the apps that you have on your phone and display, display them on them the screen. Display them a little bigger for you to see. A little bigger, and the touchscreen works, and uh, so you can do all the things that you'd ordinarily do. I, it'll be interesting to see how I like that better than just being able to play podcasts and things through the speakers in the in the RV uh, through the head end. So it it picks up through Bluetooth. It picks up your or from your phone, which we don't have currently. And now you're thinking about putting in a dash cam. Well, this has it? it has a, a kind of an interesting capability that I hadn't really thought about. Uh, it has the inputs for front and rear cameras. Of course, we don't need a rear camera because we already have one installed, but it has the capability to customize dash cam. And even though I put in a dash cam, 
<laughs> uh, this one has the has some interesting capabilities which display on the Kenwood screen, and that is that it has. Uh, crash mitigation it senses the lanes if somebody's in the lane next to you right it senses lane changes but that you don't want to do and it senses uh, if you're going to crash into somebody and of course it doesn't hook up to the brakes and things to make it stop the rv but it lets you know with a warning so i'm thinking about buying the the dash cam for this and plugging that in to see and of course having a nice big seven inch display for your dash cam uh, also is a plus to me so if you're an RVer and you are thinking about putting in a new head end, uh, I actually found this to be quite easy to do. It only took an hour, and I was able to do it at the state park, so I didn't have a lot of tools and things, but it uh, went very smoothly. It's called a double DIN, and uh, a single DIN is the small radio that's about 3.5 inches, and the double DIN is the 7-inch uh, hole in your dash, and they're standardized so that you can... Uh, buy radio from any manufacturer as long as it's doubled in, and you can uh, install it in your dash and upgrade, if you consider this to be an upgrade. Color you, you've also been um, installing security cameras. Well, around home here, if you haven't <laughs> – this is fairly, fairly cool. Uh, I've often wanted to have some sort of security camera systems, and if you look at uh, – in Amazon and places, you know, a security camera that you hook up to Wi-Fi through your for your house has uh, a fairly steep price tag. We're talking about 150 to 200 bucks per camera, plus the fact that it has the monthly fee for storing your stuff on the web. Now, most of them have a card in it that you can store video on, but uh, storing it on the web has uh, another level of security. So I'm not sure that that's... Uh, actually economically viable for our, our house situation. But I've been looking. I would like to have a camera outside. I would like to have a couple cameras. And lo and behold, a company called Waze, W-Y-Z-E, has come up with cameras that cost, what do you think? I know because you told me. If it's true, it's $25, right? $25. Actually, they're $19 with $5 shipping. $19 for a web-enabled security camera. And it has two weeks of free recording. Two weeks of free recording capacity. So is, no monthly fees. I hate no monthly mo fees. No monthly fees for storage of your video. Wow, is that something to be to be purchased? It makes it practical for people who are not filthy. I rich. can put up tons of cameras. I can put up ones in Florida. I can put them. You can put that in the RV if you have Wi-Fi. Wow, ways go to Amazon and. Isn't it W-Y? W-Y-Z-E. Then it should be wise. Wise. <laughs> Waze is confusing because that's that app where you look for alternative routes because of the traffic. Thanks. That would be confusing to our listeners. So it's wise. So it's a wise security cam. There, I've now put it put in two. They're small. They hook up to your Wi-Fi. There's really no downside to them. They run off of USB, and it comes with a little USB power adapter. So there are going to be cords all over the place? Oh, no. <laughs> I hate cords, too. I'm in the process of hiding them. That's good. So that... I won't even know they're there. You won't even know... Right. But now I have two pointed outside of my window. And it allows you to... I'm, one of the things I'm thinking about is sharing with our neighbors so that we can have a neighborhood watch. A wise neighborhood watch. It's a cool idea. Cool idea. So we hope that our neighbors think so too. But I have to get these two working well before I can delve into other areas. Now, if we were cord cutters, would that mean we wouldn't have any wires at all? Well, you wouldn't have any cable wires. But oh. I think that's kind of a euphemism for getting out of cable. Are we doing that? I don't know. Are we? We'd certainly like the direct TV in the motorhome. Being able to push the button, the dish goes up, it finds the direct TV, and you have all your channels of satellite TV instantly available. Otherwise, you have to you have over the air and you have to stream somehow. That's right. the other way to go. And certainly as RVers, we've been in a number of places where the campground Wi-Fi would never allow you to stream. In fact, I'd say that's most of the time. Yes, yes. And we've been in a number of places Although where getting better. our cell service was not up to the task either, and then you have nothing good to watch. And as I was just reading the other day, 
for Verizon to get 100 gigabytes of data from Verizon is $710 a month. Now, that's kind of their base rate. And, yes, there are people who have better plans, but 100 gigabytes a month is not that much data. We use regularly 150 to 200 here at home. We have no cap, so that's uh, We just do what we want. We just do what we want. But if we're doing what we want, we're using 200 gigabytes a month. For us to pay $1,400 to the the cell phone company, it's just not going to happen. So is it possible to do cord cutting with cell data? My guess is probably not. Um, not certainly easily. And then I think of the people who are trying to work on the road using Wi-Fi in some way. That's tough, too. And you have to understand there's a huge difference between Wi-Fi and cellular data. Um, There are lots of things to to think about when you're thinking about taking your data on the road. And I don't have really time to hear to talk about it, but... uh, Look and do do some good research because it's not that easy. Uh, a number of people say, oh, all I want to do is I want to watch Netflix while I'm on the road. And I don't really use that much data. Well, Netflix uses a huge amount of data. So, you know, you're talking about a gig an hour in, in round numbers. So 25 gigs, uh, if you have that plan from the uh, FMCA, then you're going to be 25 hours of data, <laughs> 25 hours a month, and that's not that much. So pay attention to these small details because it's not that easy to cord cut uh, while you're on the road. But at home? It'd be easy. Yeah. And we're looking at other services. We uh, we have Netflix, but uh, I would look at other services, and we have a nice link in here for some other options if you're looking at uh, cord cutting. And frankly, the DirecTV app is good. That allows you to view the programs on the on your laptops and things. As long as you have enough Wi-Fi. Yes, as long as you have enough Wi-Fi. Or as long as you have enough data. Where you get your data is up to you. We get it from Wi-Fi through the cable company. <laughs> and they we're getting fiber here at home, and that... It has upped our service to over 100 megabits a second, so wow, it is fast. So campgrounds aren't doing this because it's expensive for them still? Well, I think that we're talking about if we use 100 gigabytes and everybody in the campground you know, downloads gigabytes worth of data or uses gigabytes uh-huh. worth of data then every day, that be. really strains things. Now, here on our Wi-Fi, that's just for you and me, we are able to stream without any problem because we have plenty of data. But even our 100 megabit service would be taxed if we had... 50 people on it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of campgrounds have a lot more than 50. Sure. I mean, sure. we carry, well, there's you and me and our just the two and our one uh, that would be on one campsite. And, you know, you multiply that by the number of campsites that campgrounds have. And then you add in a few atmospheric conditions and the slowness of Wi-Fi. And then, you know, it just compounds itself and causes more and more problems. So campgrounds are working on it and we have been in a few campgrounds that have very good wi-fi but there's still the bottom line un- unusual with this, i would say bottom line with this is as i think everybody has gotten the recommendation is is that you need to have more than one data service and whether you have uh her cell phone is with at&t and his cell phone is with verizon or you have uh multiple connections um in, in another way that you, you need to have a cell phone and and Wi-Fi as options so that you can pick the one which is best if you absolutely have to have data or if you're trying to cord cut. Was that a rant? No. It was, it was just information. Was it good information? I hope so. It's um, not for us to say. Okay. Also, um, you need Wi-Fi for all the apps that you should be using uh-huh. to help you um, plan your travels and decide where to stay and find out information about what to do when you get there. There seem to be more and more of these apps available, and different people have different preferences. Uh, we're going to put up a link to a screen from somebody's phone that shows a lot of the tried and true, I would say. There's one on there called Road Trippers, which I hadn't used before, but I took a look at it, yes. which tells you stuff to do along the way i'm going to recommend road trippers uh road trippers is a little bit different than than finding a campsite app because it helps you plan your route and there are many times when people say well what (laughs) i'm going to uh 
uh, Florida, and what's along the way from Illinois that I should stop and see? Well, well, a billion things, of course. But if you want an organized way to find out what those things are, you want to use Road Trippers because it lists the attractions, and, well, and, and hotels and, and uh, not campgrounds, but it lists uh, hotels and attractions and things to do along the way. So you want to know what's what's there and what you want to stop at and what's, you know, after one night. So it lists the route and then it lists the things along the route that you want to stop and see. That's Road Trippers. And that's uh, it's a pretty nice app. I haven't really used it at this point, but uh, I think we will use it in the future because it has some benefits. Now, this uh, little picture that I'm going to put on the web has uh, our favorites, All Stays and RV Park Reviews, which are definite pluses. Parky is another one which uh, a lot of people use, which we haven't used very much at all. No, people like it, though. Good Sam has one. KOA has one, of course. And Passport America has one. Passport America has one. So there are all sorts of places. You don't have to ask other people about what sites to to visit or what uh, campgrounds are good because these sites have good reviews and will give you an idea of uh, what you can expect to find at a campground and what you're going to pay. Is there a resort fee at these campgrounds? (laughs) Hotels with resort fees. Don't get me started. Another rant is coming. I'm holding back. After we talked about not um, enjoying our stay in a small camper, we're going to put a link on about a very small camper that has gotten very good comments um, called the Marecat. This is so small that I think you could pull it with just about any car. has a little pop-up roof, I think, and sleeps two people very comfortably. Dinette and seating area that converts into a bed. You know, it's nice to find an RV that can be pulled by almost any vehicle. And I think this is an important niche market that somebody needs to get into because how do you get started in the RV world? To me, you start small, and as you find out that you like it or don't like it, then you can move on from there. But buying a small RV that can be towed by almost any car is a good place to get started. And for weekend campers that don't have a lot of time to do this, the size is good enough. Right. So the Meerkat is an interesting uh, choice, which I hadn't seen before, but it's really uh, very small. It doesn't say exactly how much it weighs, but I can't imagine it weighing more than 1,000 pounds. But uh, that's that's a nice way to, to get yourself started in the RV world. They call it a tiny house on wheels. How about the cheese trail? Oh, Yummy. We like cheese. And there is Being a- from this part of the world, <laughs> I think of Wisconsin as the cheese mecca, but uh, th- we're going to put a link on that shows you there are many places that have cheese trails. I'm really kind of surprised that you can get a map of cheese trails. It's a good gimmick to make you drive around and go to these various places and sample cheese. How about the ice cream trail? That'd be good, too. How about... <laughs> Bacon trail. Anybody that has um, <laughs> dairy. Wait, we need to hire somebody to make the bacon trail. I don't know about trail. a bacon trail. <laughs> Although you did have that nice flight of bacon when we were in Tucson with, what, six, flight eight of, different oh, kinds of bacon? Flight of bacon. Yeah. Wow. That was fun. That was a good place. What was the name of that place? The Some of the cow? pigs. The pig. pig. But California, Colorado, North Carolina, Oregon, Vermont, and Wisconsin all have cheese trails that you can get maps for. And if you go to our website, we'll you'll find a link, link that, that will take you to one of those. I think we've mentioned before that one of the things we keep an eye on is a Facebook group called Over 50 RVers or something like that. And is that us? I'm afraid. Why are you a member of that? We're way over 50. Um, And one of the threads that you see fairly regularly are people looking for cheap or free places to camp. And certainly we've done our share of that over the years. And sometimes I think the Walmarts suffer from their hospitality where people kind of abuse the privilege and take advantage. Put out advantage the slides, put out the, tr- the barbecue. And don't just use it chairs. as an overnight stop. Yes. So so we want to give a plug to our friends, the owners of real campgrounds right. who charge you real money because we certainly don't want to, to drive them out of business. If anything, we are reading about more and more RVs on the road and we need places to stay once we're done driving. Uh, one tactic that we read that um, campgrounds are using these days to 
lure bargain hunters is to have all sorts of deals and discounts and coupons, which mean they start out with a daily price that is much <laughs> higher than what they really feel they need to make a go of it, and then makes you feel pretty good after you've gotten your 10% discount. Or But doesn't that feel good when you walk in and they give you yeah, a 20% discount? Yeah, or the passport discount? Dis- discount of two nights for the price of one or whatever it is. So, yes, we, we are bargain hunters, but we want to keep the campgrounds in business. Absolutely, but I don't want to pay for things that I don't use either. And many campgrounds have kids' facilities, which if I'm coming in after 4 o'clock and I'm leaving in the morning for one night just on the road, I just don't use those facilities and I should get a discount. (laughs) No, then you need to use your app and look for a different place to stay. Okay, (laughs) okay. Which we do. And it needs to have breakfast. A free breakfast? Free breakfast. Oh, you're getting that from me, I'm afraid. Okay. Another thing we see lots in the summertime here is fried plugs that go into the pedestal. And people wonder. Yeah, why are they fried? Why? Mrs. Electric. Oh, I don't do electric. <laughs> yes, but we know that you caused this problem. The reason I fried? Why- I fried? Well, I didn't fry anything. Why are these people? <laughs> why are these plugs being fried? Because you, when you're in your rig, you want to live like you do at home. Exactly. And you want to have your she does air know. on, and you want to be able to cook. When you're camping, uh, you are trying to live. I'm trying to live like sure. I do at home. That's the way. And you, in yeah. the summer, you might have the air conditioning on. You might be cooking. You might be using yes, your but computer. You're in an RV. You might be using your hair dryer. And you have this plug that goes into the pedestal. And you have to remember that all of your power is coming in through one teeny-weeny wire um, rather than all the stuff you have in your house. You either need to cut back or you need to go out to eat. Out to eat. Hmm, Not a bad idea at all. But even so, I see so many pictures of people who have in their hand, they have their plug, which is totally fried, or they had a little fire at the pedestal, and they're wondering why. And I think you have just hit the nail on the head. They're trying to do too much in their RV with electricity. And having two air conditioners, your microwave, curling your hair, and a refrigerator, hot water heater, all drawing power off of your pedestal power plug is just uh, crazy, and it's going to cause problems. Now, it's true that breakers don't always pop at exactly 30 amps or 50 amps, so you don't need you you do need to be a little bit cautious about the number of things that you're using and sense whether or not the the pedestal is hot if it's if the plug out there is hot you probably should turn down the amount of power that you're using because it's going to cause you a problem and of course you do need to have uh, an EMS not a surge protector. Because a surge protector just protects you if too much electricity is coming in because the pedestal was miswired by the campground. Oh, not miswired, but if you have a lightning strike someplace uh-huh. or some sort of spike because of a, a generator kicking in or something. Things like that happen. And those spikes will take out power things, but they will not really cause the heat problem. But an EMS will check to see if you have a uh, polarity problems, if you have ground problems, if you have uh, voltage problems, all of those things can cause your power supply to be uh, not the best. So an EMS, an electrical monitoring system, is usually a portable that you plug in your art rig to and then it plugs into the pedestal and it monitors the power coming into your rig. They are not usually Uh, part of the factory equipment, so you have to buy it extra, and they're expensive. A surge protector will cost probably less than $100. An EMS will cost you $200 or $300. And you might feel like, oh my God, I have more stuff I have to buy for my RV, but if you stop and think about how expensive it would be to fix and or replace all the things in your rig that run on electricity, it's money well worth spent. And we had this problem. We were eating lunch in our trailer and a <laughs> and a thunderstorm and a fireball of lightning rolled down the aisle right next to us, taking out many of our major appliances. Now, I'm saying this was 25, 30 years ago in uh, Williamsburg, Virginia, and 
we did not have an EMS. We just plugged our rig into the pedestal, and we paid for that because now we had a converter to replace, TVs to replace, uh, everything electrical needed to be replaced because it was fried. And how often does that happen? Well, you don't know, especially in the summer when you have these large amounts of power being used by everybody you're going to have some problems and you want something to monitor that so that you don't or you are not affected by the power shortages. Ooh, I hate that, but it happens. Another bummer, I hate to keep talking about bummers, is we've been seeing a lot of pictures on Facebook of overturned trailers that were too big for the tow vehicle or the person that was driving it didn't know how to manage it or it needed sway bars. And the saddest one we saw recently was a couple who destroyed their trailer 20 minutes after they drove out of the dealer's parking lot. And here's the story. A couple's brand new trailer was totaled 20 minutes after they bought it on Tuesday in Washington. A couple from Auburn, Washington was heading south on State Routes 3 in the center lane around 3 p.m. when the travel trailer began to sway behind their Jeep. Now, what causes it to sway? Improper uh, weight distribution is one of the biggest reasons. Or a gust of wind, or an 18-wheeler passing you by, or um, unlevel pavement. And a tow vehicle, which is not big enough to handle the trailer. It needs to have a big enough wheelbase so that it will overcome the wheelbase on the trailer. So, anyway, they had, I'm not sure exactly which they had, but towing it with a... Jeep Cherokee. Jeep Cherokee is really a small tow vehicle uh-huh. to me. Yeah, we don't know how big the trailer but was. But what do you do if it starts what, what to sway? Should they that, have that, done? What should they have done? And this is something you obviously need to know before it happens. it happens. If your trailer starts to sway, a natural reaction is to hit the brake pedal, a surefire recipe for a major disaster. Instead, applying the trailer brakes manually will usually dampen the sway and cause the trailer to follow the tow vehicle rather than to jackknife. How do you do it? You reach down and slowly slide the manual override lever on your trailer brake controller to apply braking power to the trailer while keeping your tow vehicle freely rolling. Do not apply your brakes. Only apply the brakes on the trailer. And that will get you through that problem. You need to know this. <laughs> as soon as you tow it as you out, leave the parking lot of the dealer the parking lot we've seen a number of situations we had another guy who when we bought the fifth wheel he turned too sharply and took out the back window of his pickup truck as he was pulling out of the dealership with the nose of his fifth wheel yeah this is a very dangerous time <laughs> And you better be knowledgeable the moment you pull out or have some practice. I feel bad now. Here we are promoting fun and excitement and the RV lifestyle, and we're talking about all this bummer stuff. I don't mean to be a bummer, but I'm trying to be practical. You know any jokes? Any jokes. Any RV jokes? Maybe our listeners can send us some RV jokes. We need jokes, okay? (laughs) To intersperse, to hell with music, we need jokes to intersperse these bummer stories. Things we want you to um, be aware of so they don't happen to you. Exactly. We're trying to be proactive, trying to help you out and give you the wise tips from the wise man. Uh, Is that an old joke or what? So what are we doing in the next few months? We're actually having some pretty exciting travel after July and August. July and August will be here, but we're headed in our off summer to, home. We'll be headed off for a nice extended cruise to Spain and Portugal, and then we sail back to the United States. So I have a feeling we'll be doing another podcast under <gasps> some adverse conditions somewhere in that oh, trip. It's been so nice just to be able to do the podcast without having to worry about how I'm going to upload it. Yes. And then in, we made also made a reservation for Antarctica in February. And Why that, February? Because it's the warmest month of the year, more or less. They promise us it will be in the 30s. Ah! And I hate cold weather, but... It's one of those things that you feel like you want to do and you want to see it, but you don't want to be there. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Another thing on our bucket list is to do the Northern Lights. Yes. I've been looking into that too. Yes, yes. But we don't When like do you the do cold. the Northern Lights? In the winter. When it's cold. Ooh, we don't like cold. But 
and they're not Disneyland, and you don't know whether they will come while you are there. So you just have to wait for them. But we have no camping coming up for the next couple of months. We're going to be letting you family members enjoy your vacations as the 4th of July comes and goes. Uh, we know the roads will be busy, so drive safely. Remember how to use your brake uh, controller on your on your trailer. If you and have any questions or things you would like us to talk about, we're always looking for new topics. Exactly. After 12 years, I feel like we've said it all. Really? Well, I feel There's like nothing it. new. Well, new things come up. Yes. I'm learning new software. Okay, so we will be turning it over to the next month and hoping that you have a great camping experience, but it just won't be with us unless you come and see us. So have a wonderful Fourth of July and happy travels. Thank you. Bye, Bye. for now. <laughs>